And when you make projections, when you not only are the greatest wrestler alive, but you stand on top of a financial empire, you control the female population of the world. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Generally, on this sub-series of In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, we dig through the proverbial 1980s roller rig dumpster to pull out the records that were either never given their due or they've just been forgotten. But this might be the one edition where, as soon as we take a gander at these recorded wonders, we put them right back where we found them. Why would we do that, you ask? Well, we're going to focus on songs cut by wrestlers. The professional ones, of course. Here to pull us up into the ring of horrors is in the corner, back by the wood pile, regular guest, Cat Taylor. It's kind of tough to see where all this begins because it, you know, wrestling music was going on prior to the 80s, but it really exploded in 85 when um, the WWF put out the wrestling album that has like the song Real American that turned into Hulk Hogan's entrance music that uh, Rick Derringer wrote and recorded on okay. there. Well, of course, there was the whole thing with the rock and wrestling connection with uh, Cindy Lauper and all that. I'm totally ignorant. Oh, about really? That. Yeah. Really? So tell me about it. Oh gosh, WrestleMania. You know, that was like the first big, huge wrestling event that that wasn't like regional. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like you know when Vince McMahon Jr. took over for his father of the WWF, and he decided he was going to make it a big commercial, national, international thing, and basically kill all the regional territories. He was. Mm. You know, there were. You're right. It used to be all regional. But even regionally, I mean, there were wrestlers that used music to you know, come to the ring to. Like original music. Well, it didn't start off that way. I mean, it started off, I mean, like, the first one that I'm aware of is Gorgeous George used to come out to the ring to Pomp and Circumstance, which has since been used by other wrestlers, who like Randy Savage, most notably, in the 80s with WWF, you know, okay. going full circle there. So, But there was original music recorded in the 80s, even prior to um, WWF doing the wrestling album. Probably the most notable one I could think of is um, Michael Hayes, the Freebird. Uh, he did the song Bad Street USA. Bad Street in Bad Street in USA. The Freebirds, they were a Texas wrestling team. Okay. They first started coming out to the ring to Leonard Skinner music, like Freebird and stuff sure. like that. And Michael Hayes, he looked like Jim Dandy from, um, is it Black Oak, Arkansas, I think? I think, yeah. Yeah, you know, he had the long blonde hair, he would fluff around. And they wore the capes that looked like Confederate flags and stuff, which, of course, nowadays, you know, get you blackballed from any, <laughs> any building. But, right. <laughs> but back even, then... Even if they're a villain? Well, they were heroes at first. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, they went from hero to villain. So that was, like, one of the biggest original wrestling songs when he decided to record him and the Bad Street Band, some actual, you know, rock musicians, record Bad Street USA. The first one... Probably of the 80s that I know of that was original. It's still tough, though, because you had guys like Jerry Lawler and Jimmy Hart that started recording their own music in the 70s and you know did it in the 80s. I think Bad Street USA was probably the first really big hit song. So were they just kind of mimicking whatever the current pop music was at the time or rock music? Yeah, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, it's all a little different. I would say that most music recorded by wrestlers is bad. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? It's just like when actors record novelty records and right. you know it's uh it's not their primary thing they do they usually have people writing their stuff for them and 
I mean, with some exceptions. I mean, you know, Jimmy Hart, he was in the Gentry, so he was a legitimate musician. Jerry Lawler's kind of a renaissance man. He's an artist, a wrestler, a, a musician. I mean, he was doing all that around the same time. It's kind of just a long rock song. It's very repetitive, very too long. It's mostly used for his entrance music. When you just hear a clip of it and watch him come into the ring to it, it's a great song. Mm -hmm. But when you listen to the whole thing, like just as a song, mm -hmm. it's dull and plodding. <laughs> okay. So, so that, that's one of the things about wrestling music is a lot of times they'll have like a, a hook in there that is great, like to use as entrance music. Because I'm coming out to this thing, it creates an atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It creates, it has a certain energy to it. But when you just the whole the song as a whole is kind of all written around this riff and it's kind of it gets kind of dull. Now, bad streets is this a commentary like a, like some social injustice or is it talking about <laughs> streets that need to be repaired or what? <laughs> well, you know, of course, Michael Hayes, Michael P.S. Hayes, purely sexy Hayes, you know, the free bird, <laughs> the fab, the fabulous free birds man. You know, I'm sure he had a lot of heavy duty social commentary going on in his head but the uh the song it didn't make it to the no the no that, no the song itself is pretty much about we're from you know the baddest part of atlanta georgia and uh, you know and we're gonna kick your ass no is that thing. true are they like suburb boys i don't know but the really best stuff about bad street usa is look up the video that was made for it that is just everything stereotypically bad about the 80s okay <laughs> and if you want to get even worse with it Later on, he came up with a sequel album in 1987 called Off the Streets, where he just, it was a solo album, meaning it's just Michael Hayes, not Michael Hayes and the Bad Street Band. So you said that I was wrong. Now I'm wondering how I can survive. What makes me tick and what keeps me alive? What did it all my own? Living day by day, I'm a hellraiser out of my way. There is a great inside poster of him laying on the floor, apparently nude, but with a Confederate flag draped over his uh, private parts. <laughs> That's that one time that everybody's thankful for the Confederate flag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You'll get no one wanting to remove that Confederate flag. <laughs> Tear it down. <laughs> no, I keep that one up, okay? I used Hart. I made a fool out of Hart. I used him. I won my Southern heavyweight title back. I'm the champion, and Hart's still running around the little, same little clown that he ever was. If he ever thought for one minute that uh, I would take him back, the only way I told him that I would take him back as my manager was if he carried all my suitcases, did all my arrangements, and was just a general flunky, exactly like he was before when I first had him. That would be the only way. I, I was never a giant wrestling fan, but Jerry Lawler, I guess he was so popular he ended up on my radar even. So I, oh, okay. you know, And he's a Memphis boy, right? Oh, yeah. In fact, he has a song called uh, World's Greatest Wrestler, and it starts off, it says, Born and raised in Memphis, this is where I stay. Born and raised in Memphis, this is where I stay. Hell all the women, Terry Lawler's on the street. Rocker and a roller, fighter and a lover and a king. Which, we can track that back to Jimmy Hart, it's a takeoff of a song Jimmy Hart did, which was released under several names. Um, it was The Ballad of Jimmy, it was Handsome Jimmy, it was Son of a Gypsy. Whatever he title it has, it's the same song. Jimmy Hart recorded it with, I think it was as a solo thing, but he released it as the Gentries. I was born in New York City. But he also let Handsome Jimmy Valiant record it, uh -huh. even though Jimmy Hart wrote it. And the Handsome Jimmy Valiant version is horrible. 
handsome Jimmy Valiant has no voice, no sense of rhythm. It's bad. <laughs> Tell all the chickens, Jimmy's on the loose. They can run and hide, but they can fly the coop. I think it's part of like the Jimmy Valiant, Jerry Lawler feud. But the Jimmy Valiant version actually was a minor success. It, it, like it hit some charts in Memphis and stuff. Wow. So, so Jerry Lawler did a World's Greatest Wrestler, which is a, it's not a direct ripoff of the song. I mean, it's not the same song, but mm -hmm. it is very close. Right. If you listen to them back to back, Son of a Gypsy or Ballad of Jimmy or Handsome Jimmy, whatever you want to call it, it starts off with, I was flying into Memphis, TWA, tell all the women, Handsome Jimmy's on his way. Like the second verse is, I was born in New York City, that big apple town. So Jerry Lawler's song, World's Greatest Wrestler, he starts off saying, born and raised in Memphis, this is where I stay. Tell all the women Jerry Lawler's on the way. Well, doesn't that confuse the public as far as like who is the world's greatest wrestler if there's three different you versions know, of the song? I think? Well, Jerry Lawler's the one whose song says it's the, it's titled World's Greatest Wrestler. Oh, okay. so, you know, so, I'm glad that we cleared that yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> I think he wanted to make that clear with the title of the song. Well, not anymore. I think he still wrestles like on local, local and regional uh, shows once in a while, but mm -hmm. he's... His primary career is an announcer for the WWE. So, okay. when oh. these guys put out music, do they put out just singles, or they put out whole albums? Sometimes they started off putting out singles, um, but then they ended up putting out albums. Like all these Jimmy Hart and Jerry Lawler songs, they start off as singles, but then they ended up putting out albums, and they would like compile a bunch of their old singles. Like mm -hmm. the only Jimmy Hart album I know of, other than his stuff with the Gentries, which the Gentries was a legitimate rock band before Jimmy Hart was ever in wrestling. Mm -hmm. But he did a album of his wrestling songs called Outrageous Conduct, which is pretty much just a compilation of all the singles he had done. And I might want to point out, you know, there were rock bands recording songs about wrestling before it got big as wrestlers recording their own music. I mean, one of the big ones that back in the 60s, there was a garage band called The Novas that recorded a song called The Crusher that the Cramps later covered in 81 on their Psychedelic Jungle album. Did the Jerry Lawler ever put out a hip-hop record? No, but I tell you what, his son recently, his son uh -huh. Brian Christopher, decided to follow in his dad's footsteps mm -hmm. and release an album of music. And this album is terrible. <laughs> I mean, as you can make fun of Jerry Lawler's music for being kind of cliche and or not like all that original, uh -huh. but Brian Christopher has, just like Jimmy Valiant, no sense of rhythm, no voice. <laughs> the next Coliseum every Monday night Where wrestling was done right And Saturday TV from the ring, you know, it's a Memphis thing. And he's got the stupidest lyrics. <laughs> Which is bad for a hip-hop Well, it's not a hip-hop record, <laughs> even. But not overall. I hate to think it has some hip-hop in it, because he had a gimmick as Too Sexy Brian Christopher, where he was a member of a tag team called Too Cool, and they had a hip-hop gimmick. But there have been hip-hop wrestling albums. I mean, there was a lot of hip-hop artists mm -hmm. you will know, make wrestling references in their songs. But, yeah, I mean, there's been some bad attempts. One of the worst ones, this is, once again, it's after way after the 80s. Mm -hmm. It was more in the, the 2000s. Randy Savage did a rap album called Be a Man. <laughs> and it's bad. <laughs> is it as good as Funky Man by Didi Ramon? If it's possible, it's worse. <laughs> As a ballerina, I knew all along you had those tendencies. Cause you've been running from you like I got a disease. Any more about Jerry Lawler? I mean, you got anything interesting? Any tidbits? The most interesting stuff are some of the songs Jerry Lawler did. Like, he made fun of Jimmy Hart. He did like a, a, a song, Wimp Busters, which was just, 
him singing over the Ghostbusters musical oh, no. track. It was Whip Buster, and they did a video to it. It's so corny. When you need to put a bully in his place, who you gonna call? Now I wonder when they cover that song, who do they pay? Did they pay Ray Parker Jr. or the, did they pay Huey Lewis? Yeah, I think at that time Ray Parker Jr. is getting the money. That's why he got sued for it. So, <laughs> so that's probably what drove Huey Lewis to finally sue because he wanted the money from yeah. Busters. He probably did. Yeah, and I should also talk about like since we're on the subject of Jimmy Hart and Jerry Lawler being yeah. the real like Memphis musical artists. Mm -hmm. We should talk about some of the other music videos that were done in Memphis, which were corny as hell, mm -hmm. which is not original music, but like they would do like promotional videos where they show clips of like you know wrestlers, and they would do like in their casual uh, situations and like clips of the wrestling matches, and they would do have the guys like these like supposed like sexy wrestlers driving around in cars or working out in the gym, and they put it to music like. Uh, like one of the worst ones is this team called the New Generation. They put to "Let's Hear It for the Boy," and it's the most homoerotic thing you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> They're frolicking around a swimming pool with each other, and but yeah, the fabulous ones were another one. I mean, they would show like nothing but these like banana hammocks, and you know, standing around posing with each other, and <laughs> you know, and doing each other's hair and stuff. Uh -huh. And it's like supposed to be attracting women, but it's the most it's extremely homoerotic. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of great stuff like that that happened in Memphis. One night, I said, I'm gonna go to this concert to see. George and while I was there he noticed that I was out there and he stopped everything and announced that we had a great wrestler in the audience and I stood up and everybody gave me a round of applause and I sat back down but after the show boy sent someone out to tell me to come backstage that he wanted to talk to me and what boy George wanted to tell me is he told me, Tony, you've got to quit trying to be like everybody else, copying their styles and their moves. And you just got to be yourself. And when you do, everything is going to happen for you. So from that day on, I just started being myself. I dressed the way I wanted to dress. I walked the way I wanted to walk. And I talked the way I wanted to talk. And I was successful. So I went back to boy George and I talked to him and I said you know this has changed my life so much that I want from this day on to be known as Boy Tone. Well I guess we should really go back to focusing on where things really you know, exploded with rock and wrestling in the 80s which with the wrestling album. Mm -hmm. you know, Wrestlemania we we're talking about Vince McMahon and took over and he decided he was going to turn wrestling into a huge nationwide or international phenomena rather than just regional things. He did a few things. He started buying up all the top wrestlers in all the territories. He would start running shows in all these different towns. And it used to be really taboo. It was like, you know, hey, I got the West Coast. You got the Mid-South or whatever, you know, and all these territories. And they would they would swap out talent. Like, you know, they may have a hot wrestler for a while who was working in their territory, but he was starting to lose steam. So they would say... Yeah, they'd need to do something to freshen things up. So they'd have like a match where he had to leave town. And so then he'd go wrestle another territory and that territory would send them somebody. Mm. It was more of an exchange rather than a competition. But, you know, Vince McMahon was like, Junior, I should say, not his father, but you know, mm. Junior, he was like, we're going to tour and run shows in all these territories. And I'm going to buy all the top talent. Was he hated for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's still today one of the most despised people in wrestling and but especially back then when he started doing that, I mean it's no exaggeration to say the WWF if not killed regional territorial wrestling it put it so far underground to make it irrelevant on a larger scope you know still regional territory still shows run but it's like a garage punk band you know playing to you know 50 people if right. you know it's nothing like 
Memphis, for instance, Texas. I mean, these all used to have huge shows. Thousands of people would show up, like every, you know, every show they ran, and not anymore. Right. I mean, because one, you know, Vince McMahon's got the bigger product, bigger budget for the top wrestlers, and now he's got syndication everywhere, so you could see wrestling for free. And so, yeah, he was very despised right. <laughs> for doing all this. Part of it was crossing over, making it more commercial, and crossing over with other type forms of media like rock and roll so he did like the rock and wrestling connection thing where he had cindy lauper come to wrestlemania they built up a whole feud with her and captain lou albano and no no wait a minute cindy tell him how you tell me how i i wrote the words for time after time cindy and girls you're only he's kidding he's only kidding now wait a second wait a second wait a second now you've told me that you've taken you've taken 75 percent you told me that you you brought her from nothing Telling how a women Cindy belong in a kitchen and pregnant Cindy that no woman's ever accomplished anything without a man behind it. No. You know I don't like that. You only fooling around, right? Because I don't no, like no. that stuff. Where's Cindy, 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 just shut up for a minute, Cindy. Tell him what I did to you, Cindy. Tell him how you came off my reputation, Cindy. Captain Lou Albano, how all women are nothing, Cindy. They're slime. How it takes a man to make a woman. One second now, just calm down. Wendy Richter was representing Cindy, because, you know, they weren't going to have Cindy Lauper actually wrestle, but right. Wendy Richter was like a, a female wrestler, and the fabulous Moolah was the bad guy female. They just wanted the celebrities to make appearances and do interviews and stuff. But if you look at Cindy Lauper videos at the time, she mm -hmm. had Captain Lou Albano and wrestlers in them. Wasn't he play her dad in uh, yeah, in Girls, Girls Just yeah, Want to Have Fun? Yeah, exactly. I remember yeah. that, yeah. But they used it as a story saying that he was supposedly her manager, which, of course, he wasn't, and she thought he was ripping her off, so that's how the whole feud started. And then, then the Goonies Are Good Enough video, she had a ton of wrestlers in it. And, and part of this, they did a an album called uh, The Wrestling Album in 1985. And they had wrestlers record songs, you know, mostly original music and some covers. They put this thing out, and it's pretty goofy. I mean, it's got a junkyard dog doing grab them cakes. <laughs> Junkyard Dog did that on, on the <laughs> wrestling album with Vicky Sue Robinson, the disco singer. So it makes it a, one of the more better <laughs> songs, yeah. I mean, more legitimate, I guess. Most of the people that recorded these songs, they just did like one song because basically Vince McMahon said, you're going to do a song and we're going to write it for you and here you go. <laughs> which he continued doing way after the 80s. But the 80s basically had two albums. They had the wrestling album, which was big, and then the follow-up Piledriver. Uh, the wrestling album too. <laughs> so, okay. When they make these records, do they go on the road to promote them? No, they don't. They don't tour or anything. I mean, nowadays re wrestlers rarely record their own songs. In fact, until just like this year, Vince McMahon had a guy, and he's been working with him ever since the wrestling album named Jim mm -hmm. Johnston, and he's written most every wrestling original wrestling song for the WWF and WWE uh -huh. since the concept started. Jimmy Hart's been part of it too. Jimmy Hart, when he went to work for Vince McMahon, you know, one of the people that he took from the territory, he brought his musical skill in. He he's written some of the songs or assisted with it. Most notably, this was a '90s song, but he wrote his probably Jimmy Hart's best known song because of doing that for Vince McMahon was uh, Shawn Michaels' theme, "Sexy Boy." I'm just a sexy boy. Sexy boy. I'm not your boy toy. So as I mentioned, Real American, the Hulk Hogan theme, which is still used oh, yeah. whenever Hulk Hogan appears now, was written by Rick Derringer. It's on the wrestling and, okay. and performed by Rick Derringer. Now, Hulk Hogan did, and later on in the 90s, record a whole album, which he does sing on, with <laughs> Jimmy Hart, and it's pretty bad. <laughs> Rick Derringer. Used to tear my shirt, but now you tore my heart. I knew you were a Hulkamaniac, 
most of these things by the way? I own songs from them. I don't really have too many of the whole albums. Right. I just haven't wanted to spend my money like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a video for the wrestling album for a cover of Land of a Thousand Dances with all the wrestlers in it. It's horrible. You got to know how to pony. wrestling album which actually uh, and hit number 84 on the charts <laughs> I should say <laughs> with a bullet uh, yeah well you know with a <laughs> slingshot <laughs> uh, and, uh, the, and then uh, the sequel pile driver wrestling album 2 and 87 were both produced by David Wolf who also produced Cindy Lauper so that was the Cindy Lauper connection uh -huh. and uh, and it was also co-produced by Rick Derringer so I should talk about Piledriver, the wrestling album, too. Also, some of the great tracks off it. Okay. The cover alone is beautiful, because it's got a close-up of Hulk Hogan wearing a construction helmet. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned hip-hop wrestling. There was a hip-hop song there called Jive Soul Bro, performed by their black pimp manager character named Slick, which is a great hip-hop song. So I said, hey, baby, spend the night at my house. She said, no way, you jive, little mouse. I said, hey, now, baby, can't take no more. So she threw me on the floor in the One of the more legitimate songs on there was probably uh, Coco Beware doing a song called Pile Driver. Sometimes love sounds like a fight. It sounds like an argument. It sounds just like a pile driver. Yeah. There's a great video for that too, where all these wrestlers are, you know, dressed like construction workers, and it's it's beautiful. But yeah, Coco Beware could actually sing, and then of course the regular corny stuff like Mean Gene Oakland, the announcer doing a cover of. Rick Derringer's Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. Vince McMahon doing a cover of Stand Back. I got some time for your fight. I finally have to say Stand Back. Stand Back. Because they decided that they were such a big deal with recording wrestling music, Vince McMahon decided he was going to do his own version of the Grammy Awards called the Slammy Awards and give out awards. How many records are coming out a year based on wrestling? Oh. There was only one real Slammy Award. I mean, he did other Slammy Awards after that for, like, other stupid things. But uh -huh. for music, the really the first one's the only one that matters, where he was actually trying to give awards for it. But it's still, it's just like a whole... For his own music. You know, it's it's a wrestling show. It was uh, like, it was, yeah, I mean, you know... I keep forgetting his wrestling's right. not real. <laughs> uh, don't say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he ended the show with him performing, uh, lip-syncing to the song Stand Back, and he performed the record, which is like him totally coming out there dressed like uh, Frank Sinatra and mm. you know has these backup female singers. And like 
a bunch of wrestlers pantomime like they're playing instruments and stuff. And you talking about this reminds me of how it was a football team. I think it was the one that had the refrigerator guy in it. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh-huh. and that was kind of a mild hit. Well, let me get to that too. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it was the Chicago Bears. Like some of the top players the Chicago Bears recorded, I guess it was a hip hop song um, called the Super Bowl Shuffle in promotion of like whatever the Super Bowl was that year that they were right. gonna play. Well, they called me sweetness and I like the dance. Running the ball is like Mickey Moore dance. We had the goal to train and camp to give Chicago a Super Bowl champ. And we're not doing this because we're greedy. The Bears are doing it to feed the needy. We didn't come here to look for trouble. We just come here to the Super Bowl shop. Yeah, of course, the WWF was like the big, huge thing at this time. There were some competitors trying to keep up with them. The WCW. They were the more legitimate, less cartoony version of wrestling. But there was also the AWA, who was kind of like the third tier national thing of trying to keep up. And they were lagging behind pretty bad. They really were suffering an identity crisis, not knowing what they were going to do, to you know, what direction they wanted to go, how they were going to keep up. And around the time the Super Bowl Shuffle came out, they were going to do their own big super thing like WrestleMania called the Wrestle Rock Rumble. And they decided, well, hey, that Super Bowl Shuffle was good promotion for the Super Bowl. Let's do our own rap song with our wrestlers. That called the Wrestle Rock Rumble. As bad as these other records are, and as corny as the videos are, look up the Wrestle Rock Rumble on YouTube. Watch these like old wrestlers trying to rap, totally off rhythm. You know, it seems obvious that a lot of them are reading from cue cards as they're trying to rap, especially the older guys. The song is bad enough listening to it, but watching the video that goes with it is even better. This is Ken Resnick, and I'm here to say we've got the greatest wrestlers in the AWA. But you're not here to listen to me mumble. Let's fill you in on the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Get on! We're the Midnight Rockers, Sean and Marty. We love to wrestle. We love to party. You don't have to work. We're not going to fumble. Because we'll be shaking through the Wrestle Rock Rumble. The mention about the Jimmy Hart going to work for the WWF and about mm-hmm. his later album. One of the songs he, he did on the wrestling album was called Eat Your Heart Out, Rick Springfield. Why? Well, saying like basically he was better than Rick Springfield at the time. Because Rick Springfield was a huge success in 85. Oh. Jimmy Hart was saying, here's my song, I'm better than you. <laughs> Call my chick the very next day. She was watching TV with Dr. Noah's Drake. She said, he's so handsome and he's so cool. She made me so sick, I wanted to puke. But also he did like some stuff like the regional things. Like when I mentioned like Jerry Lawler doing like the Wimp Busters video. Well, Jimmy Hart would do things like he wrote a... Like, their announcers there in Memphis were Lance Russell and Dave Brown. When Jerry Lawler was a heel, before Jimmy Hart came around and became the main heel, he called Lance Russell Banana Nose, because Lance Russell's nose was a little bigger than normal. I mean, not even the thing you'd normally notice, you know? Right. Um, because that was the big thing. So Jimmy Hart, you know, when Lawler eventually went became a big hometown hero, and Jimmy Hart was, like, you know, managing all the all the heels. So he kind of took over calling, you know, Lance Russell Banana Nose, and he wrote a song called Lance Russell's Nose. When he recorded it later um, and put it on like his Outrageous Conduct album, and I should mention too, this is uh, Terry Funk was a, a huge wrestler in Japan. Okay. And they, you know how Japan is with like their stars, they want him to record an album. Terry Funk is like a, a cowboy guy, you know, uh-huh. he's like a, a country guy. He has no no clue about you know rock music. 
So he got Jimmy Hart to write his songs, which mostly just sent him songs he'd already written in Memphis. And so they had to change the, the Lance Russell's nose. No one in Japan knew Lance Russell was. So they changed the song to Barbara Streisand's nose. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. And that's what it became when it ended up on Jimmy Hart's Outrageous Conduct album. She had Brooke Shields' hair. You should have been there. Boy, was I surprised. Bo Derrick's hips and Mick Jagger's lips and Farrah Fawcett's eyes. <laughs> Dolly Parton's chest, you know that's the best, and Herschel Walker thighs. You gotta be kidding me! I was doing all right till I turned on the light. It was then I realized she had Barbara Streisand's nose. Oh, <laughs> that's what I is. That's uh-huh. awesome. Okay. Yeah. And from this point on, I mean, there's novelty records out the yin yang. So Jesse Ventura, yeah. So he's one of the mini wrestlers that ended up recording albums and songs which actually I think he may have only recorded a single The Body Rules in 84 This body rules in the ring It's my machine It's my castle It's my weapon When I wrestle The flip side, Showdown with Mr. V Not a very memorable song but it's just the fact that Jesse the Body Ventura did it and he eventually became a governor of Minnesota so, And he also helped defeat the Predator Yes, exactly, yeah Which we could all be thankful for uh, Yeah, well sure, right. absolutely Because we'd all be speaking predatories if, or if we were alive, we'd probably be It's true, you know, <laughs> it's true. Dead by now. All our spines would be hanging from yeah. trees if it hadn't been for him and yeah. Arnold and Apollo Creed Yeah <laughs> uh, Other people that recorded albums Sergeant Slaughter, military style wrestler he was one of the people that was bought from the territories by Vince McMahon and the WWF. But he was brought in to WWF to be like Mr. Patriot, you know, military guy. You know, he was already a big success regionally, of course. But before WWF really exploded, and before he could really, you know, capitalize like on a Hulk Hogan level or whatever, because he was popular enough, he got to deal with the G.I. Joe cartoon. They wanted to license his image and his name and stuff to be a, a member of the G.I. Joe team. So you have to refresh my memory because mm-hmm. I watched that show a little bit. Was he kind of the drill sergeant? Yeah, or yeah, he was. Okay. The, yeah, he was brought in like I, I think in their second season or whatever. Is you know, we got to go retrain with this tough drill sergeant? It would turn out to be Sergeant Slaughter. You're going to work till you wish you were dead, and then keep going because you're afraid if you don't, I won't let you die. So, so he didn't actually fight Cobra Commander and Oh no, I remember some cartoons where he was he, he, yeah, he was on the battlefield too. So yeah. <laughs> and by battlefield you mean shooting lasers and yeah, not hitting he, a Exactly, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Although I don't recall him ever carrying a gun. Yeah, he probably did, but yeah, he was because he's a wrestler, he was mostly, you know, Uh-oh. grappling people and yeah. stuff. The Cobra Clutch. That was the, big, the Cobra uh, Clutch, uh, of course. That was his big finisher. Um <laughs> so he <laughs> Uh, so anyway, so he got this great deal, and of course Vince McMahon was like, well, you work for us, you know, we want a percentage of that, because we're making you a superstar, and he's like, hell no, you know, I want all this for myself. So I don't know if he got fired or he quit WWF, but when he did, he went to the AWA, which I mentioned is like that third tier organization that was kind of competing, and there he was like one of their top stars, and basically one of the few so actual big time wrestler names they had at that time that was it's, kind of keeping them afloat. It was kind of shot in their arm a little bit to, to get him. A little bit, but yeah, but still, you know, with AWA and just their, I mean, they were so far behind the times and so low on money mm-hmm. and they were losing just about everybody. As soon as they build somebody up, you know, either WCW or WWF would buy them. And so they, they were having a very hard time uh, even staying afloat. And eventually, Sergeant Slaughter even got bought back by the WWF and, and left him. Of course, that was after his G.I. Joe deal had 
collapse. But anyway, at that time when he was still kind of a big deal, he recorded an, an album too, Sergeant Slaughter and Camouflage Rocks America. <laughs> and I mentioned a lot of these wrestlers can't really sing. Uh. Not only can he not sing, he basically doesn't even try to sing on this album. They've got like this music recorded, they've got like some guys uh, you know, singing all these songs. And like my favorite songs on there, they do a parody of Rick's. Uh, I don't know if it's a parody because it's supposed to be serious, but Rick Springfield's uh, "Love Somebody." Well, they do call it "Love Your Country," uh, and so there's this whole other guy singing this whole song, playing this whole song until it gets to the chorus. So this guy's like, "You fight for the flag and wave. You got it." And then you hear Sergeant Star go, "Love your country," and then the guy's like, "Before it's too late, you gotta love your country." You gotta love your country. That's pretty much what he does on the album. Is he'll just grunt in like a, a verse of the chorus. You, you gotta wonder if like they were making this album and they you know not very long into it, they realize he can't sing. He can't even fake it. That's my guess. I know I keep chasing rabbits here, but. You know, you had mentioned earlier about celebrities making records, and again, the 80s were kind of a special time when Eddie Murphy and Don Johnson, in those cases, they were pretty good. They weren't awful. Right, and, right. They're passable, at least. Yeah. You got to think that there's these songwriters that were hoping to get Rick Springfield or somebody, uh -huh. but then they say, hey, well, how about, do you mind Junkyard Dog yeah. in your song? <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. better than nothing. You know, I've been here eight and a half. My son and I told you when I first got here, I kept I keep looking each and every day further and further up that ladder, and things getting better and better <laughs> for the old nasty dog. It's more than I can, can cover, but a few other highlights, maybe. Uh -huh. Remember the band NRBQ? Yeah. Well, remember we talking about uh, Captain Lou Albano and Cindy mm -hmm. Lauper? Well, for some reason, NRBQ wanted to record an album with Captain Lou Albano called Lou and the Q. there uh -huh. <laughs> so. <laughs> now I, I wanted to bring up of course again I'm not a wrestling expert right and in my mind mr. T was a wrestler but you, of course you've corrected me uh, off right. the recording that he's not a wrestler but right. he, it, he's one of those back for WrestleMania he was one of those when Vince McMahon was bringing doing all the cross media things and he brought in if you look watch the first WrestleMania of course most WrestleManias ever since have had celebrity guest appearances but WrestleMania is the big one where it started he was pulling in I mean he had Brian mentioned Cindy Lauper being involved in the angles. He pulled Mr. T in to team with Hulk Hogan in a tag team match against Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff. Where did Mr. T get a start then? Mr. T was a bodyguard who became an actor. The way he got into wrestling was when he was in Rocky Three. They wanted to have a wrestler versus boxer match in there, so they contacted the WWF and they got Hulk Hogan. Actually, it may have been before WWF. Hulk Hogan may have still been in the AWA at that time. But Hulk Hogan, one of the reasons he became a household name was appearing in Rocky Three is Thunderlips. They had the connection with him and Mr. T, and then when he went to WWF and became the biggest star there, and they went at the cross-media stuff. Well, so let's just talk about his record, if you don't mind. Can, okay. Can you talk about it? A little bit. I've got it, but I don't remember much about it. I remember it has a song, Mr. T's Commandments. If you break these rules, God help you, fools. You got Mr. T to fear. <laughs> <laughs> Was 
Was it kind of a uh, expansion of the Moses's Ten Commandments? I don't recall them being much like Moses's, but they were more like just good life lessons that you yeah. parents tell their children. Yeah. Now, of course, his deal was he was always trying to be a positive influence yeah, on kids. Right. And of course, he had a cartoon. He, I know he worked with Nancy Reagan with the Just Say No campaign. I get angry just thinking about it makes me mad. Little kids doing drugs, it turns my stomach. That stuff hurts. It stops you from living up to your potential. It holds you back. It hurts the user. It hurts his family. And it hurts his friends. I just want to shake some sense into you kids that are using drugs and think about using it. So remember, don't or else, okay? So uh, another one of my notable favorites of uh, 80s wrestling albums, mm -hmm. and this is one I actually like. I actually think this one is good. If I was to say there is a good album by a wrestler, this would be my favorite. It's uh, Exotic Adrian Street. He's a great character. Okay. Uh, imagine Tim Curry in the Rocky Horror Picture Show as a wrestler. Plays like a kind of a flamboyant, homosexual, almost cross-dresser wrestler. Uh -huh. He's got like long blonde hair and two ponytails and paints his face up almost like kiss makeup on his face okay. but not quite yeah he just is totally effeminate but he's like this uh, stout english guy who had this valet who was like this butch looking leather woman there's actually i think his wife even to this day but yeah but the thing is about adrian street he, he's playing this totally sissy flamboyant gimmick but they say he was one of the toughest legitimate wrestlers who could actually hurt you imitation is supposed to be the best form of flattery they look like two little ducks trying to imitate a swan they may be pretty but i am Beautiful. I mean, beautiful. I mean, there have been so many, like, gay wrestler gimmicks since then. I can't say he was the first, but I think he inspired most of them. He was probably the most influential and one of the first that I saw that was just, you know, that flamboyant about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can go back to Gorgeous George, the first guy who had a character, but he was more of just a flamboyant narcissist than a homosexual Like a type. dandy. Yeah. Yeah. The Adrian Street. He had this great stuff he would do. He would like in the wrestlers when they would get in the ring to wrestle each other. Well, what they usually do is they'll kind of circle around and kind of you know walk up or whatever. Mm. Well, you know as they're trying to circle around the way he's circling, he's skipping. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and these other wrestlers are looking like what the heck? You know, <laughs> he was so credible because you know, a lot of times these guys are playing like the sissy wrestlers. They're just totally wimps and they only win by luck or by cheating or whatever. He was like this total like sissy type wimp, but you could tell. I mean. He would actually be a tough guy in the ring. I think he was one of the main inspirations of the guy that came much later on called Gold Dust. Like Adrian Street, and uh, the album was called uh, Shake, Wrestle, and Roll. This mm -hmm. was 86. My favorite song there is called Breaking Bones, which my band covers sometimes. I think it's a good album. To me, it's um, a cross between like some 70s-type glam stuff, like David Bowie, T-Rex, with you know maybe some like you know some of the Rocky Horror-type music. You can suppose what you want to suppose But I'm a sweet transvestite with a broken nose but Now it's still a wrestling, I mean, he's still singing about goofy wrestling things But it's legitimate, I think he's got passably good music on it How do you stuff. think they pulled that off? I think he's actually talented, I think he's a decent singer I think whoever helped him write it probably had some sort of, you know, a little wider, better taste than a lot of these People are just like, you know, let's just jack out a hit here. Uh, you know, something that sounds just very by the numbers that uh -huh. this guy can sing over. It seems like they cared a little more. Like mm -hmm. they actually tried to make some decent songs. I want to hear the crunch. I want to hear the cracks. I want to hear the moans and groans. I don't know why, but I only have breaking bones. And the song I mentioned that was my favorite, Breaking Bones, I heard that one when I saw the movie Grunt the Wrestling Movie. Oh, Grunt the Wrestling Movie is a great 80s cheesy wrestling movie. It's the best wrestling movie ever in my opinion, other than the documentary on Andy Kaufman called I'm From Hollywood. Yeah, but no, it's a, a fictional movie. I mean, it's corny, it's uh -huh. it's goofy, but it's so, so much fun. It's called Grunt the Wrestling Movie. 
It uh, came out in 85. There's three songs by Adrian Street in there. Is Adrian Street in the movie? Yeah, some wrestlers are actually in the movie. Most of the actual wrestlers are big parts, and there are like actors playing fictional wrestlers. Grunt the Wrestling Movie is not a good movie by you know objective standards, uh-huh. but I love it. Okay, <laughs> it's yeah. a good, bad movie. Right, 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 right. The whole premise is based on a wrestler gets decapitated in the ring by accident. The decapitation is played for comedy effect. <laughs> I mean, when you see how it happens, right. it's kind of goofy. Okay. Right-handed arm, right number 10. 732 Yeah, of course, you're considered an expert on the 80s wrestling, or just wrestling music in general, because you have a band. I don't know how many bands you've had over the years, but you've been on another podcast and talked about them, but... You have a new one called The Mighty Jabronis, mm-hmm. and all y'all do is cover wrestling songs, right? Well, we we don't just cover songs. We're a totally wrestling-themed band. So all our songs are about wrestling, or they're cover tunes of a lot of the songs we've talked about, even. Everybody in the band been a wrestler at one point? No, I'm the only one that's actually been a wrestler. But okay. our, our bass player, he's a guy that owns actually owns a lot of these albums okay. and he knows more about this than I do. So when you write a song about wrestling, are you writing about some of the legends or what's your approach? Well, it's a, it's a variety. I mean, you know, you got a very limited scope there, so you, you got to branch it out as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I do things like I'll write a song like about a wrestler, like you know, Woo is about Ric Flair. a song about a specific thing that that happens um, in wrestling like a uh, man of a thousand four holds there's a whole segment where Chris Jericho was having a feud with another wrestler named Dean Malenko Dean Malenko is known as a man of a thousand holds mm-hmm. so Chris Jericho came out there and said said I've counted he doesn't know a thousand holds he only knows about 400 I, I know a thousand and four holds and I've got a list I'm gonna read it to you right here so I basically wrote a song that was that list. <laughs> a thousand different holds? Well, I, just like he never gets through a thousand, uh-huh. I don't either. And then I do a lot of metaphorical songs, too, mm-hmm. where I use wrestling as a metaphor for something else okay. in life. Yeah, my favorite of those is probably Heart Punch My Heart. It's like probably the world's first wrestling love song. So. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, three, it's the beat. have played a few gigs yeah well we played quite a bit yeah okay and how's the response actually it's been most of the time pretty good do people get it yeah most people do we've had a few haters that come on because whenever we do a show we'll do like a wrestling promo video for it Uh and we'll you know chew out the bands we're gonna be playing with and stuff the other bands are in the know i guess yeah the other bands will play along but occasionally you'll have like a fan of one of the other bands like someone just doesn't get it like you know post a nasty comment like the last show we did with the Dead Deads, I mean... What do the Dead Deads do? What's their thing? They are a mostly female rock band. They're pretty successful. They're from Nashville, but they tour with big bands, and mm-hmm. they have albums out and stuff. They're kind of your friends. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, they have a gimmick. They paint their eyes with X's and stuff, and they have a fan club called the Dead Core. And you know, I would say of any band in, t- in town, they've been the most helpful to us. And so we, when we did our last show with them, we record a promo, and I was trashing them and stuff, you know, just like wrestlers do. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Dead Deads. I have been spying, I've been gathering evidence. You women want to cheat? First of all, the Dead Core, 
That's not a fan club. That is a cult. You are running a cult. You like guitar player? You are the ugliest woman I have ever seen in my life. I think she's kind of pretty. Well, that's only because you have matching beard. Yeah! And one of their fans got really mad. And as much as I was trying to, without telling her this is a joke, I was like responding in, to me in ways, it's like, it's very obvious this is a, a total goof here. And she would just get madder and madder. <laughs> so some people just don't get it. All right. <laughs> yeah. The people that record the record for us, they're going to put out a single for us, a vinyl single, mm -hmm. you know, two songs. But we're going to, on our own, we're going to put all the originals onto a, a CD. And one quick question. When you guys play out live, does everybody wear like a wrestling outfit? The band does. Yeah. And you guys like do some moves? Like you yeah. get the bass player or something? Well, or? We, we usually beat up other people. We don't usually beat up each other uh -huh. because, you know, it's kind of hard to a band to have a fight with ourselves just with instruments. <laughs> But usually we'll have like, yeah, we'll have like feuds with other people and uh -huh. we'll come up on stage. And uh, if we have a few people that we kind of use repeatedly as like our arch enemies, hadn't seen much from Bobby Voltage in a while. He hurt his back. But, you know, if that guy comes back, he's going to get taken down. And we aren't going to stop him from showing up, but I'm just telling you, they'll get the Tennessee soup bone. <laughs> <laughs> but. Hey, yeah. well, thanks for coming on and, and bringing all this knowledge <laughs> that our culture desperately needs. Uh, absolutely, they do. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if you find yourself wanting more of Cat Taylor, you can check out his initial appearance back on In the Corner Back with the Woodpile, episode 19, where not only does he talk about his early musical career in the bands Rednecks in Pain and Fun Girls from Mount Pilot, but his own glamorous wrestling career. In the Corner Back with the Woodpile is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram by searching for Spun Counter Guy. You can send us an email via spuncalendarguy at hotmail.com. The podcast is also hosted on iTunes and podbean.com. Peace and chicken grease. 61 cross mighty block. 762 beggar snuffle. 763 reverse DDT. 764 cat's cradle. 765 moonsault. 766 Tennessee soup bone. 767. Such a... Arm bar. Arm bar. Arm bar.